0: This morning's sermon text is from Matthew 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of our Lord. That's the second service in a row that I forgot to turn my mic on. I apologize. I, I don't want to have to yell too much. So, uh, Good morning, guys. It's great to see you. Uh, for those of you who are watching online right now, because we're live streaming on Facebook, hello, How are you? Church on the living room sofa. I love it. Hope y'all are staying safe and we're glad you're tuning in with us. Uh, Hey, real quick before I get started, I just want to say in in the vein of that, uh, you know, again, this is a time where uh, we're all kind of on pins and needles wondering what the next several weeks are going to look like with uh, all the coronavirus stuff. And it kind of seems like anytime you tune in, anywhere you're getting varying uh, angles of information and there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, I just want to remind us all, one thing that is certain is this, that uh, Jesus is bigger than anything that we face in this world. Um, and Bethany actually reminded me of a verse last night in Hebrews 10 that says, uh, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are saved through our faith. So one thing I want to encourage all of us to do is to take this time, uh, of, of, turmoil and think about how we can be, um, leaning into the needs of other people. How can we serve our neighbor who might be worried, um, who might be, um, unable to go out and do things that they would normally be able to do? How can the church uh, just really step up in this time and be loving and be excellent to the people around us? Uh, that's, that's what following Jesus is all about. So uh, I just want to encourage you guys with that. I'm going to pray, and then we will jump into our lesson. Dear Jesus, uh, we thank you so much um, for your goodness, Lord. I, I pray that... Um, in this time we're going through uh, that we would not panic and we would not be afraid and, but that we would also um, just be smart. Uh, I pray that we would be sensible. I pray that we sh- would always be thinking of the needs of our neighbor, regardless of what's going on in our world, Lord, that the church would always focus on how they can meet the needs, the needs of the people around them. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that no matter what happens in our world, uh, everything about you stays the same. You are still God, you are still good, you are still our king. Lord, we love you, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Okay, so I just want to ask you this, you, you'll probably agree with me. Would you guys agree that sometimes it seems like we just have no idea how to treat each other, right? We just have no clue. When I was in preschool, this is one of like my earliest memories, uh, I had two buddies in my class, uh, their names were Preston and Marcus. And we always did everything together. We loved recess time. You know, what preschooler doesn't love recess time? Uh, And, you know, if if it was rainy outside, we would always just stay in our classroom uh, and we'd play with the toys in the classroom, which was still fun for us because me and Preston and Marcus, we loved Lincoln Logs. How many of you love Lincoln Logs, okay. Well, no, okay. It's, it seems like it's not as big a deal today. In, in first service, uh, a small child like raised their hand, and I was like, that's so good to know that kids are you know, still playing with that. We loved Lincoln Logs, uh, and what we loved about it was there were little like figurine people with the Lincoln Logs you could play with. Now, there was uh, a boy figurine, and there was a girl, and there was a little baby, okay? Now, listen, we're three preschool boys. Uh, it's, it's not cool to be the baby or the girl okay, you you want to be the one that gets to play with the little boy figurine, okay, that's just how it is in preschool, you know, first of all, all, you're not a girl, so you don't want to be a girl, and you know, I don't want to be a baby, I I wear pull-ups now, okay, come on, that's like, I I don't want to be the baby, so since there were three of us, and there was only one boy figurine, we decided we had to come to a compromise, Uh, so we just said, okay, each time we play with the Lincoln Logs, we'll take turn on who gets to be the boy, you know, that's, is about as reasonable as preschoolers can be, right? And so uh, I remember, you know, one day it rained and we stayed inside and I, I got to be the boy and it was awesome, I loved it. Built a little cabin for my boy figurine, it was great. Okay, I had a great time. A uh, couple of days later, it rained again, so we were inside and you know what, this time I had to be the baby, which isn't ideal, you know, I didn't really wanna be the baby but we did have a rule, we agreed on it, so I thought, you know, okay. That's fine, I'll I'll put up with this, I'll be the baby. The next time it rained, Preston and Marcus, they had the nerve, no, the audacity to make me play with the little girl figurine. And I thought, man, I'm not a girl. I don't play with girl toys, this is not fair. And and Preston and Marcus, they're saying, wait, Ian, we agreed to this. You know, like we all said, this was gonna be okay. You got to play with the boy the first time. Now it's our turn, it's Preston's turn. And I said, I'm not a girl, and I don't play with girl toys. And they wouldn't listen to me, so I decided to go nuclear on them. I said, I'm telling the teacher. And I started to walk away. And I never made it that far. I don't know, I don't know what I would have said to the teacher. Like, they're making me follow the rules. Can you believe that? I don't know what I would have said. But it worked. Because then Preston and Marcus were like, wait, hold on. No, uh, Ian, wait a minute. I think, yeah, yeah, I think it actually is your turn to play with the boy figurine. Here, you take it. We'll, we'll be the girl and the baby. Don't, you, you should be the boy. And I was just like, man, I'm so glad we were all able to you know, agree on this. This is great, awesome. And I had a, had a good time playing with the boy. Uh, what's funny is after a while, I came to realize on future rainy days, I would go over to play with the Lincoln Logs and after some time, Preston and Marcus, somewhere along the way, they kind of stopped going over to play with the Lincoln Logs with me. And you know, as a kid, I just couldn't wrap my mind around the idea that me treating them poorly would make them not want to be around me, or that might even make them want to treat me poorly. Actually, sometimes we like reverse that. Sometimes it's not us treating people poorly. Sometimes we get treated poorly, and we think that's like a hall pass to, to be a jerk to that person, right? Well, they treated me bad, so now I can just lay into them. So a lot of you have probably seen this already. I've seen this shared hundreds and hundreds of times on Facebook, um, so if you have, you can just laugh along with this. Uh, but I saw this post, it said this. Um, so I was in the McDonald's drive-thru this morning, and the lady behind me honked at me and flipped me the bird because I was taking too long to order. Wow. Maybe you've been in that situation. I mean, I hope you're not like the lady, like, you know, using obscene gestures. But maybe, you know, you've been taken too slow, like you're on your phone and the car in front of you move forward and the people behind you are getting upset. Because it's not fast food if you don't move fast, right? Okay, so it says this. So she was upset. So I paid for her food. I moved up and she leaned out the window looking all crazy at me because the cashier told her I paid for her food and she looked embarrassed. You know, sometimes that's nice, like when you get treated poorly to just turn it back around with kindness, right? You're like, oh yeah, enjoy those hot coals on your head, that feels good, right? We've been there before as well. It says this, when I got to the second window to get my food, I showed them both receipts and I took her food too. I paid for it, so now it's mine. She has to wait even longer. So I rolled down my window and I honked my horn and I screamed, patience is a virtue. And she's going to learn that today, okay? Like, that's, that's pretty funny. That's pretty good. And as funny as it is, a lot of times, that really is our mindset. We, we think, okay, how we treat people, the guideline is, well, how do they treat us? Because if they treat me well, I'm not going to treat them poorly, you know? But if they don't treat me well, then guess what? I don't have to treat them well either. And so often, we kind of use that as our, our anchor of morality, okay? Well, rule of thumb, if they treat me well, I'll be nice. If they treat me badly, then I'm taking their McDonald's, Okay? We, we have no idea how to treat each other. And luckily, Jesus, uh, he lays the framework for this. Uh, and that's what we're talking about today. So in Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus, he's preaching his famous Sermon on the Mount. And time after time in this sermon, he is taking uh, old things and he's adding a little twist to him. So he's saying a lot of this language. He's saying, you've, you've heard this, but I say to you that. So you know, you need to turn the other cheek, or if someone asks you to go a mile with them, go with them two miles, or, you know, if if you murder someone, that's bad. But I say, even if you hate somebody, that's like committing murder. So he's saying all these challenging statements, Uh, and towards the end of his sermon in Matthew 7, 12, he says this, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And last service, I forgot to provide the context, but the context in that passage, in the few verses before, uh, Jesus is saying this. You know, if, if you ask, uh, you will, it will be given to you. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open. Uh, who among you, if your child asked you for bread, uh, how many of you would give them a rock? Or if your child asked you for a fish, you'd give them a snake, okay? Uh, we are people and God is God. So how much more does God know how to give good gifts? And so then he says, therefore, do unto others. So basically what Jesus is saying is, because God treats us well, because he knows the right way to treat us, and, and he is our Lord, we too, in turn, should do to others what we would want done to us. And of course, that is called the golden rule. I, I would even assume that people who, uh, you know, they don't believe, they're not religious, even they would know if you asked them, you know, what's the golden rule, they'd probably be able to tell you. They'd probably say, yeah, treat others how you want to be treated. And it is, it's, it's a good rule. Um, it, is, it is a lot better than, you know, wait to see how someone treats you and then treat them that way. That's often how we twist it. And actually, uh, in this sermon today, I just wanna take two other points on how we misunderstand the golden rule, okay? Uh, the first one uh, is an incomplete interpretation. So what I mean by that is this. It's not that it, it's, it's a bad idea. It's not that it's something that would be wrong. It's just, it's not a complete definition. If, if this is what we're going by, we're not getting the entire picture. Uh, and that incomplete interpretation is this. Don't be a jerk, don't be a jerk. So we hear Jesus say, do unto others as you would have done to you. And we think, man, that's, that's a good line. Good job, Jesus. You know, Jesus has all those like, you know, tweetable phrases, you know, all those, those good sayings. And this is one of his best. Do unto others as you would have done to you. It's pretty simple. Uh, Jesus actually isn't really the first person to ever say this. Uh, in fact, about 100 years before he was born, there was a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi named Hillel. And Hillel is actually famous for saying this phrase, but it's a little different. Um, And actually, a lot of people call this phrase the silver rule, okay? So you got the golden rule, but before that, you had the silver rule. And the silver rule was this. It was, um, do not do anything you wouldn't want done to you. Now, on the surface level, it's like, okay, we're talking about the same thing here. Yeah, it's it's the same thing. That's what the silver rule is. The silver rule, to sum it up, would be this. Don't be a jerk. If you don't want something bad to happen to you, then don't do those bad things to other people. However... There is a problem with the silver rule. It's not the complete golden rule. The reason being is because this, the rule, the silver rule, it doesn't mandate Christ-like behavior. What I mean is this. You can follow the silver rule. You can agree, I'm gonna wake up in the morning and, and all throughout my day, I'm not gonna be a jerk to people. And that's actually pretty easy. You know, I mean, I... I'll speak for myself there. I don't think there's any days when I wake up and I think, man, I want to find somebody and I I just want to punch them, you know, just gonna go find somebody somewhere. But you know what? I I also rarely do I wake up and think, God, who can you lead me to that I can serve today? Who can I go find and, and do something for them? The golden rule, you know, so the silver rule is just simply don't do things, but the golden rule is about what you should do. Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Jesus makes the golden rule active. If you read James 1.27, James, he's the half-brother of Jesus. And so when you read the book of James, you got to keep in mind that he was somebody who was around Jesus, saw him teach, saw him perform miracles. He said this in James 1.27, he says, pure religion that is blameless is this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, you know, he uses language in there of, this is action, this is language of action, you know, go take care of people who are in need, or who are vulnerable, and then we, we take the last part of that, and sometimes we take that as a cop-out, because it says, keep oneself unstained from the world. So, we think, okay, so what I need to do is, I need to avoid bad things. The best thing I can do is keep myself from all the bad stuff. So, you know, if I, if I want to stop cursing so much, I'm going to be away from people who curse a lot. You know, if I have a, a drinking problem, I'm gonna steer clear of all the bars. In our brain, it goes into this mode of isolation. Now, don't get me wrong. There are certain situations where it, you would do well to keep yourself from harmful things. But Mark Moore says this in, in the, the chapter you read for this week on the Golden Rule. He says, living unstained from the world is far more likely through engagement than avoidance. It's far more likely through engagement an avoidance and what he means by that is this that you know we can live by the silver rule we can you know try not to be a jerk but not being a jerk isn't always the same thing as being like Jesus sometimes simply not doing evil isn't the same as actively doing good to somebody and so for us the best way we can look different from the world is usually to actually go out and do things to do things in the love that Jesus has for us and we'll look a little bit less like the world because, I mean, let's be honest, what, is, what does the world look like right now? Well, the world looks like people fighting over toilet paper at Walmart. Okay, well, how do we look different from the world? We, we, we love people, we care for people, we're selfless, we think about the needs of others. And that's a great way to keep ourselves looking different from the world because the golden rule is so much more than don't be a jerk. If, if that was all Jesus asked of us, living for him would be the easiest thing ever. So many of us, we're good at not being jerks. I mean, most, most people in this community I have not been a jerk to, you know? But that doesn't mean that I'm caring about you either. It really just means I'm not bothering you. It's not enough to just not be a jerk. It's not the same thing. So that's, that's our incomplete uh, interpretation. Again, it's, it's a good thing. I'm not saying, you know, oh, oh great, Ian said you can, we can go be jerks to people. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Don't Please don't go, you know, honk at people at McDonald's, okay? What I am saying is this. If that's all we look at the golden rule as, it's an incomplete definition. The second point is this. We, we sometimes have an incorrect motivation from the golden rule, and it's this. I'm going to follow this rule to get ahead, I'm gonna follow this rule to get ahead because what Jesus is saying is, if I do good to others, then they're gonna do good things to me. And we all know that that's not always the case. Sometimes you're gonna do really good things to other people and they, they won't actually do anything in return or they might even just be a jerk and do something mean. Uh, Luke 14 says this, In Luke 14, starting in verse 12, Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So, Kind of a little way of of illustrating that. When you're you're a kid, think back to like elementary school and your teacher might say, we're gonna do a project and I want you guys to split up into pairs. And when the teacher says that, that's when I stop listening to anything she's saying because I'm looking for my best buddy in the classroom, and we lock eyes and we just have that understanding, okay? Like, if, if, if Barry is my partner, we just know, we're just like, yep, there it is. We're gonna be partners, because we're best buds. And then when the project starts, we're all excited, because it's like, I get to do the assignment, but I, I get to have fun while doing it. I get to enjoy it, I get to do it with my friend. Like, this is fun, this is gonna be easier, because the circumstances are comfortable. The problem is, following Jesus sometimes, you gotta carry out the assignment in ways you're not always comfortable with. Oh, it'd be great if if Jesus just called us to serve our family members, our friends, you know, our loved ones. If that was all we had to do all the time, that would be simple. But so often when Jesus calls us to follow this golden rule, he is not afraid to push us out of that bubble of comfort and say, Hey, go love the person that maybe you don't like that much. Go, Go love somebody, you know, that you're not usually taking care of. Um, Luke six twenty seven through 36 actually says this. He says, but to you who are listening, this is Jesus talking, he says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. If somebody yells at you in the McDonald's drive-thru, don't take their food, okay? It doesn't say that in the Bible. In, in the Bible, it says the Chick-fil-A drive through." So in verse 30, that's, I'm just, you're like, is that in the message translation? What? No. Uh, In verse 30, it says this, give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's Luke's version of the golden rule. In verse 32, it says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. You know, if you have people in your life who love you and care about you, treat them poorly. Don't worry about them. No, he's not saying that. We're called to love everybody in our lives, whether they're family or whether they're strangers. But if we can't, if we can't even love our family well, how are we equipped to go love people that might be a little more uncomfortable to love? So, my brother, he's two years younger than me. So, growing up, we, he was like one of my best friends. We did so many things together. We had a a basketball hoop in our driveway. And we would, you know, we play, I can't tell you how many games of one-on-one we played our, our lives and our childhood. And I was always bigger than my brother. Um, he, he's probably always a little more, I'll admit he's probably more skilled than me, but I was always so much bigger than him that it didn't matter. So I, I would always win, okay? And then we got older, we got like, we're both in high school, and my brother starts to like shoot up. And now even today, like he's just, Honestly, sometimes it feels like he's not even shorter than me, like we're pretty much the same size. So my brother started to get taller, and I'll never forget the day that my brother, he, he finally beat me at one-on-one. Man, if you're an older brother, that's just the worst. You hate it when your younger brother beats you at anything. And I even like, not to sound bitter, but it was like a lucky shot from like way beyond the arc, and I couldn't do anything about it. So, But, I, I'm, but I'm not bitter, <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, but, but he did. He beat me, and he was so excited. His eyes got this big. And I just immediately was like, oh, you got lucky. You got lucky. What? Let's play again. And, and he was like dancing, and he's running around. He ran inside. My parents were sitting in the living room. And he was just like, he's like, I beat him. Like, oh, in his face. And I was getting so mad. I was like, Rhett, that's not funny. Shut up, man. And my dad was just laughing. And my dad said, Ian, I hear you beat Rhett all the time and you're a punk to him, so why do you think he's gonna be nice to you after he beats you? Which at the time did not help me. I was like, well, still, you know, and all that. But now I look back on that and I I, I see, you know, man, if I can't even love my own brother well, I'm really not gonna be equipped to go love uh, my neighbor or, or a stranger well. In fact, you know, a lot of times, uh, our relationships go the way that our attitude is. Our attitude is everything in our relationships. Just like, you know, I, if I treat my brother like a punk, then he's going to treat me like a punk. Uh, there's this, uh, I love this story. There's this Chinese parable about a bride. She marries like the man of her dreams and everything seems great except for this. Uh, her mother-in-law and her do not get along, okay, at all. Uh, In fact, anytime they're around each other, they they just fight, they clash. It seems like her mother-in-law is just the meanest lady around. Like she always has something rude to say. She always treats her poorly and the bride cannot stand her mother-in-law. But she has a friend who owns an herb shop. So one day she goes to her friend at the shop and she says, Hey, I need you, this gets morbid, I need you to sell me some poison so I can put it in my mother-in-law's food so she will die. Sorry, I know it it takes a turn, okay? Uh, And so the the owner of the shop, after saying, wow, okay, uh, he says, okay, well, here's the deal. Uh, I'll sell you poison, but I'm not gonna sell you really powerful poison because if it kills her like that, people are gonna be suspicious, especially considering that you do not treat her well. You know, you guys have a bad relationship. People are gonna immediately suspect you. The bride said, oh, okay, yeah, that's a good point. So, so what should we do? And he said, well, here, I'll, I'll sell you these herbs right here. And they've got a little bit of poison in them, but it's not very strong. So what you're gonna do over the next several months, every single day, you're gonna sprinkle a few of these in her food. And she'll eat the food. And over several months, eventually the poison will take its toll and your mother-in-law will die. And the bride's like, all right, now we're talking. So she buys the herbs. Uh, and as she's about to walk out the door, the, the shop owner says, oh, one more thing. One, one more thing you gotta know. And she said, yeah, what's that? He said, you need to make sure this whole time you just treat your mother-in-law wonderfully. The bride said, why not? I can't stand her, I don't wanna do that. He said, no, listen, think about this. If you spend the next few months saying things to her that are kind, serving her, doing things for her, just being happy to be around her, then a few months from now when this happens and your mother-in-law kicks the bucket, nobody's gonna suspect you. The bride said, oh, okay, that's brilliant, all right. And She leaves. And sure enough, over the next several months, what she does, she, she comes home and she says to her mother-in-law, hey, I'm going to start cooking you all your meals. the mother-in-law was like, what? And she said, yeah, don't no, just trust me. I just I want to start doing more things to, for you. So over the next several months, every meal, she'd just sprinkle a few of those poisonous herbs in and she'd watch her mother-in-law eat the herbs. So after a couple of months of doing this, of, of serving her those meals and, and, and doing things for her and treating her well and, and acting happy to see her and saying kind things to her, all of the sudden, the bride realizes... I don't think I want to put any more poison in her food. So she stops. And then a few weeks after that, she actually starts to become distressed because she's realizing, you know what? I, I don't want my mother-in-law to die. I don't want to do this. This is crazy. This isn't the right thing to do. So she goes running back to the herb shop. She, she bursts through the door. She says, will you please, I'll pay anything if you will sell me the antidote to that poison. The shop owner says, what are you talking about? I thought you hated her. He said, maybe, maybe I was a little too harsh Maybe I was wrong. I, I, I don't want to poison her. I don't want her to die. Will you please give me the antidote? And the shop owner just starts laughing. And he says, hey, the herbs I gave you aren't actually poisonous. Did you know that? The girl says, what? No. He said, I, I, I never wanted you to poison your mother-in-law. I never would have allowed that. I just wanted to see what would happen if you started to change your attitude and your actions towards her. And I love that story because it's such. It's, it, the, the application point of it is so true that a lot of times when it comes to loving other people and doing unto others what we want them to do for us, so much of that is just our own attitude. If we decide that we are going to serve people that we're bothered by, if we're going to treat them well, a lot of times the golden rule can actually enhance those relationships. God can actually redeem some of those relationships because we changed our heart towards that person. And that always happens through us deciding that we're going to serve. We're no longer gonna follow the silver rule of, okay, I'm just gonna avoid that person. I'm not gonna be mean, but I'm not gonna talk to him. No, the golden rule spurs us into action and oftentimes Jesus works in that to redeem our relationships. And that's powerful. I read this article um, and I I pulled a little excerpt from it. It says this, a fascinating study on the principle of the golden rule was conducted by Bernard Rimland, director of the Institute for Child Behavior Research. Rimland found that the happiest people are those who help others. Each person involved in the study was asked to list 10 people he knew best and to label them as happy or not happy. Then they were to go through the list again and label each one as selfish or unselfish using the following definition of selfishness. A stable tendency to devote one's time and resources to one's own interests and welfare, an unwillingness to inconvenience oneself for others. In categorizing the results, Rimland found that all of the people labeled happy were also labeled as unselfish. He wrote that those whose activities are devoted to bringing themselves happiness are far less likely to be happy than those whose efforts are devoted to making others happy. Rimland concluded, do unto others, as you would have them do to you. The golden rule. So we've talked about these you know, ways that we twist and misunderstand the golden rule. Uh, you know, we talked about that incomplete uh, interpretation. We talked about uh, you know, that improper motivation. Here's the simple solution. It's this, love others in the knowledge of how Christ has loved you. Love others in the knowledge of how Christ has loved you. If we understand how Jesus has loved us, going to the cross knowing that like, there's no way we can repay him, and, and a lot of us aren't even gonna ever accept him after that. Jesus loved us anyways. If we understand that, if we have the knowledge of just how much Jesus truly does love each and every one of us, then it gives clarity to our mission to love other people the way we would want them to treat us. Uh, a great illustration of that is found in Luke chapter 10. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, uh, Jesus tells this parable. Uh, It's called The Parable of the Good Samaritan. Starting in verse 25, it says this, "'An expert of the law stood up to test Jesus, "'saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?' "'What is written in the law,' Jesus asked. "'How do you read it?' "'He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, "'with all your soul, with all your strength, "'and with all your mind, "'and love your neighbor as yourself. "'You've answered correctly,' Jesus said. "'Do this and you will live.'" But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey, and pause, Samaritans and Jews, they were like cats and dogs. They did not like each other. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy on him, the man said. And then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I love that story. And so when we read the Good Samaritan and we think about the golden rule, let's go back for a second for my first two points, okay? Let's go back to that incomplete interpretation. Let's go back to that improper motivation, okay? Uh, if, If the Samaritan... If he lived by that improper interpretation, if he lived by the silver rule and only the silver rule, you know, don't be a jerk. He could have fulfilled that by just walking on by like the other two guys. If you just want to not be a jerk, he could just walk on by, you know, he sees the man and he looks bad, but like, I'm not the one who beat him up. I'm not the one who mugged him and took his things and left him for bed. That's, That's not my problem. You know, he could just fulfill the silver rule in its entirety by just walking on by. But he doesn't. You know, sometimes not being a jerk is not the same as actively living for Jesus. They're not always the same thing. Sometimes we gotta be active. Sometimes we gotta pursue. Sometimes we have to think about how we can actually go and do something for the people that God has put in front of us. And then, you know, the the improper motivation. The Samaritan, he wasn't trying to live out the golden rule to get ahead. In fact, in verses 34 and 35, It says he actually gave things up to help him. He used his resources to treat the man's wounds. He put him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn. And he even told the innkeeper, he said, here's some money, you know, to to cover anything he needs. And then he even says, if you spend more, when I come back, I'll reimburse you for that as well. He went above and beyond. And you know what? Sometimes as the church, God calls us to pay a price to help people out. God calls us to be okay with the fact that we might have to serve others and not get repaid by them. We might have to do something for somebody and not be praised or get credit or get attention for doing it. You know, there's so much made of, of like the, the warm, fuzzy feeling you get when you do something. And, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, I feel like God probably designed us to feel good when we serve others because that's us living how we were intended. But that warm, fuzzy feeling, that is not the reason that we live out the golden rule. That's not the reason we do unto others. The reason we do unto others is because that's what Jesus did. And that's what he commands us to do. Whether our service leaves us those warm and fuzzy feelings or not, because the reality is there are gonna be times when we serve and we walk away and we don't feel warm and fuzzy. Sometimes we're just gonna feel tired. Sometimes we're just gonna feel drained. We're going to just feel like it cost us something. And that's okay because Jesus said a lot of things. And one thing he was very clear about is that to follow him, there is a cost. There's a cost to discipleship under Jesus Christ. And yet we're still called to live out that golden rule and do unto others. So again, in this time right now, uh, it's a great opportunity for us to, you know, make sure we live out the golden rule the proper, proper way. You know, not just to isolate ourselves from people, although depending on how bad the virus thing gets. We might literally have to, you know. Uh, but thinking about how can we look after the people in our lives? How can I care for my neighbor? How can I care for the person I work with? How can I actually, like, not just be civil to them and, and not say anything mean? No, how can I actually pursue that relationship and do something to show them the love of Jesus? Because the love of Jesus is active. And so my prayer for us today is just that, um, and and the band's gonna come out here in a second. I'm gonna pray here really soon and the band will come up. But my prayer for us today is that when we think about how we can live out the golden rule, we would just listen to Jesus' challenge to to love in an active way and and for us to just go and do likewise like the Good Samaritan. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Uh, Jesus, I thank you that you have the authority to take sayings and phrases and, and, and tell us what the meaning is. I'm, I'm thankful that you are able to show us how we should live. I'm thankful that you are the one truth that there is. Father, we know that you have called us to love in a way that sometimes is active. Sometimes the way we love people means that we are willing to get uncomfortable. We're willing to move. We're willing to go to that person and serve them. Lord, may we not be a people who want to just get by on avoiding and, and, and worry only about not sinning. God, I pray that in addition to trying not to sin, we also actually think about how do we follow Jesus because living for you and avoiding sin aren't always the same thing, Lord. Let us not get so caught up in passivity that we're, we're not willing to go be active. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. It's in your name we pray, Amen.